like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and this is another episode in the series where we're talking about ECE influencers. Um, And today we're going to talk about Bev Boss. So I know a lot of people listening probably already love Bev but maybe others have not heard of her yet. So hopefully this, this will be an introduction to some folks, to um, a wonderful woman. And joining me today is Richard Cohn. Hello. And you guys know who he is. And Heather Hansen, who's not been on the show before. So I'm going to let Heather introduce herself a little bit for you guys. Hi, um, Heather Hansen from Halifax, Nova Scotia. I have a consulting company for early childhood, and I've had an early childhood program here in the province for 25 years. Uh, I've been in the field for more than 30. I used to do a podcast with Keisha Reed and work part-time at a college for ECs, yada, yada, yada. I present. I do all that other stuff that most of these people do. Um, And probably my most favorite early childhood mentor in the world is Bev Boss. So I'm pretty excited about this conversation. Yeah. Um, So Heather participated in our uh, book group, the first first discussion of our Carol Garhart Mooney book um, Thursday and um, called herself Bosian in her practice. So uh, when I needed a a last minute substitute for the show, actually Thursday night, I was like, I got to get her on the show at some point. And then um, when, when I needed someone else for today, I thought this is perfect. We've got, we've got a Bosian I can call and ask. Um, uh, So, and, and all of us have been in the field 30 ish years, right? So um, there's no excuse for, for us not to know who Bev is. Um, and I know you two know her, knew her personally, right? Is that what I heard you say in the chit chat before the show? Yeah. I don't know anybody personally. I just read about them. <laughs> you know that's, baloney. that's baloney. I feel like you know quite a few people. <laughs> You're one degree of separation from Bev. There you go. That's all I really need. I just need a little bit of closeness. <laughs> um, I know that 
Tiffany, who is going to be here today, she and I had been at Bev's program together. Oh. Um, but Bev was not with us at that time. She had yeah. already passed. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she's pretty yeah. cool, that Tiff. Cool. So we're going to, um, we're going to each share a, a quote from Bev that we, that means something to us and, and talk through each one of those. Um, who wants to go first? So I have a couple here. This is yeah. my favorite one. It's mm -hmm. not as theoretical. So because I knew Bev, um, I met her first here. I read her stuff, saw her on 2020, um, dreamt of meeting her. 2020 dreamt of meeting her and so the first time I met her here listened to her talking and I was sitting at the back of the auditorium crying the whole time uh thinking how can I make my center exactly the way she's describing it and so anyway um I brought her back to Nova Scotia many many times and had conferences and two different times she and Michael actually came in my program and for three days in a row worked in my program and mentored my staff so anyway, one time she came, I had this shirt on. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> I can see it, but the listeners won't. <laughs> so um, this is my favorite Bev Boss quote. So oftentimes if you were discussing with her um, about the inspectors and like, well, but, well, how could I do that? And how could I do this? And how could I do this? And it's funny because uh, several times when I'd bring her, and we'd hold a conference. I remember our biggest one was 525 participants, which is big for here. Um, all of the inspectors were like in the front row. <laughs> and so we, she was talking about the importance of swings, like indoors and outdoors and everything else. And we were talking about swing regulations. And she said, you tell them Bev Boss said so. And every time we went to the conference in Roseville as well, like, I mean, she's lots of amazing quotes, of course, and we'll get into those, but, um, but I loved it when it's almost like when she just felt like she just, she just was so frustrated. She'd say, tell them Bev Boss says so. <laughs> so I like that one. One of my favorites. Yeah. 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 That's For a good hashtag. those of you who couldn't see, that's what it says on Heather's shirt. Bev oh, Boss yeah. says so. Yep. I think yep. because of three months, three months of Zoom, I'm so used to that kind of stuff. Yep. So then, of course, there's a picture of her and I with that shirt. This there's a picture. This is when I very first met her and I'm sobbing. And it's on a t-shirt. Oh my gosh. Wow. So these, these are actually shirts that I had made to go to her program one time because I thought she'd laugh her head off if I had like her quotes uh -huh. on shirts. So when I said to you, oh, I'll just bring quotes and if you guys say different quotes, I'll just like, so I was going to print some on cards because I thought we were recording a Zoom. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was like, no, don't apologize. It's pandemic <laughs> Zoom brain, right? Yeah, so that's my favorite quote. So yeah. what do you guys got going on? Wait, wait what was your favorite quote? My tell favorite them. quote is tell them Bev Boz said so. But oh. I do have other I do have other yeah. ones with me. Yeah. So we so this happened when we recorded about uh Cheng Zui Can yesterday. Um we jumped right in without talking about what Anji player who she was <laughs> before and then we jumped right in. So just in case there's anyone who's never heard of Bev Boss, let's go backwards for a minute. Um, and uh, you, since you two were at the school and met her and have worked with her, would you give us a little bit of background on who she is? And then we'll jump back to our quotes. Well, Bev Boss, uh, I think came to, uh, came in the national spotlight in that 2020, although in my mind it was a 60 minutes, but I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
what made her newsworthy to the national audience in the early 70s or the mid 70s was that um, she didn't require the children to wear clothes um, <laughs> in her program. And that made for a good news story. Mm -hmm. um, but she was so much more than that. That's what catapulted her to her fame, I think. But then she began writing books um, and became beloved. And like Heather, I sat in her audience um, in the late 80s, um, just crying my eyes out, singing, laughing, um, feeling this amazing sense of community in a room full of 500 strangers. Mm -hmm. And she had that way about her. And she, and, and you have to give part of the credit to her son-in-law, Michael Lehman, um, who, because the two of them together, and especially when they had the late, great Tom Hunter with them on stage, um, it was a magical experience every time and always felt effortless. Uh, the three of them, the two of them, even just her by herself. Uh, the other thing, Heather, that I think you would have loved about Bev is that she was a voracious um, reader. Yay. Um, she read, she always was in the middle of three um, early <laughs> childhood books. And when the field of neurology came around in the mm -hmm. 90s, uh, there was no one more excited about devouring those books than Bev. Mm -hmm. Yes, one of her favorite books that I tried to surprise her with, because she kept, every time she got a copy, it would fall apart, was, and I have never gotten a copy for myself. Uh, I want to say it's called From A to Ox, or From A is to Ox, or something like that. You can Google it, and you can track it down, but it's very difficult to get a copy, because she, like, usually when she was presenting, she'd have, like, all of her favorite books there, and she'd, like, pick them up to try to read sections of them, and some of them were clearly so well loved that <laughs> she had gone through several copies and she used to, she used to, she used to look and she used to look so intently at all of us and say, you need this book. If you don't have this book, you need this book. You need to get this book. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know what I'm remembering, uh, Heather and, uh -huh. and Heather and Heather. I'm I know we need some nicknames name. or something. Um, you know, not every one of these uh, in this series that you're going to do, uh, Heather, uh, maybe not every one of these influences or experts um, is easily quoted. Um, mm -hmm. But um, Bev, one of the great things about Bev's, um, how she spent her life traveling around the world, where she had all these cardboard signs with quotes on them. And she would go scramble around on her table looking for the right quote um, and then hold it up in front of you. Michael, Michael, find this quote. Find the right cardboard. <laughs> And she would hold up her quote, and then she would just go off on a ramble about it. Or that rant. sounds amazing. Yeah, I like I like how you said that, Michael. Michael. Yeah, that was Remember? That, yeah. that was a big part of almost every time you heard her was yep. Michael, 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 Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and and the school is Roseville Community Preschool. Yeah, preschool. Yep, in California. Mm -hmm. That's right. See, I'm forgetting everything suddenly. Um, and that is, I've never been, but that's a goal always to get, to get over there. It was uh, a, a religious pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. um, and every time I went, I would just stand there and cry. Aww. That's what I imagine I would do. Um, okay, so, so thank you both for sharing that stuff about Bev. Let's go back to, to talking about what we, what we love specifically about what she taught us. Um, so uh, I'm going to just do my quote 
next. I'm just going to see and do that. So this is from an article she wrote for Exchange Magazine in 1995. um, And I still use it a lot um, anytime I'm working with young teachers or people who are wanting to go in the field. And I use it even with the um, the speech language uh, grad students that I work with um, in the day job. The article is called Joy in Early Childhood Programs. Um, but the piece that I, that I really love is the word joy will probably not show up in a curriculum guide. And I don't hear many politicians using that word when they talk about schools and money and accountability, but those of us working hard to ensure a childhood for so many children know that if we did not hear laughter, giggling, hoopla, shouting, and cheering in our centers, we couldn't go on. And that the, when I first read this in 1995, it was such a contrast to any of my working experience that it was it was just very powerful and now i use it to sort of try to use it proactively to um to um sorry i was doing it the same time as you so so i try to use this article sort of proactively now and hit people before they've been in a classroom when they don't have as much to unlearn about what they think early childhood education should look like. And they go in maybe with this idea of laughter and giggling and hoopla. But I also just love it anytime an influential person in our field refers to childhood, like talks about creating a childhood and not so much about classroom management and structure and curriculum and early childhood education in general. That you know, I use that phrase, I'm not saying it's wrong, but um, when we talk about our role in making sure they have a childhood, that's so much more powerful for me. And, and so this, this really has guided me for, well, 95, I guess that's 25 years now. Um, it's kind of always in my mind when I'm talking to people about working with young children. So I've never heard that quote. I'd love to have a copy of that article. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it certainly it certainly sounds like her. It very much sounds like her. And it's I love that you brought it up today because since today's the day that our program reopened, uh, one of one of my mentors, one of my Nova Scotian mentors, um, who was thrilled and delighted to meet Bev on a couple of occasions, we actually. Um, got to sit at the same table all together uh, the last time she was in Halifax and uh, Liz, all of us were writing on Facebook, like, good luck, everybody like to do the different centers. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. And Liz was saying, Liz Hicks, uh, she kept saying, don't forget, don't forget to laugh this week with the kids and don't forget to have joy this week with the kids while you're doing all your new protocols and all your sanitizing and taking temperatures and all this other stuff. Don't forget to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm super, super happy, again, also that you brought it up, because like literally just hours ago, I was doing all that screening, and one little girl ran towards me with her arms open, and I had my arms open because I forgot for a moment, and then I had to drop them, and oh. right in that moment, the look on her face and my face, mm-hmm. and so then I said something silly, and we both burst out giggling, so it was okay, but... Yeah, what a nice one to start with, Heather. Whoa, set well, that bar high. You. Set that bar high. It's been powerful, and I think it does have uh, an even more maybe powerful uh, meaning now when we're all trying to figure out what to do during COVID and how to um, make sure that the children are still getting that childhood that they deserve. 
um, while we're also trying to keep everybody as, as healthy as we can. Um, it's sort of, it hurts my heart a little bit to read it again today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it does. Well, I, go ahead. I just was going to say, I don't know what she'd make of all this. I know Dan, Dan is pretty passionate and he's been really intense about the mask situation. And mm-hmm. so is Tom. And then I have a friend, Corey Berg, who's been like in the trenches, like her program never closed. And so the whole mask thing has been like, once they got mandated to wear the masks, she has, she has demonstrated that there are times that the children are still connecting real authentic moments with the people in the masks. So today for the screening, I didn't have my mask on the whole time and we don't have to wear the mask all the time, but I could clearly see how devastating it was for children. Like, so there were times I was whipping the hand sanitizer and I just whipped the mask off and, and uh, I mean, it was only a couple hours of screening, but I could see trauma. I mm-hmm. could definitely, like, it was definitely trauma. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Bev would make of it, but anyway, yeah. I, I'm sure she'd, I'm sure she'd have something to say. That's for sure. <laughs> what were you going to say a minute ago, Richard? Well, I was just sitting here trying to think what would Bev make of, of this moment in history. Um, I think she would return to play. Um, and she would return to following the children's leads and, and being authentic with um, however they were feeling about it. And, um, you know, a lot of us are trying to figure out strategies of what to do, but, um, you know, Bev, your quote is about joy, which for me sort of brings up the spirit, mm-hmm. not like in a religious way, mm-hmm. but just that human beings are more than our brains and brain had, um, Bev had a lot to say about our brains and how they operate and and how they learn in the first years of life. But um, she also either explicitly or implicitly had a lot to say about our spirits um, and our souls. And for me, that word joy brings up um, is is brings up how we express our souls um, and put them out there to connect with other people's souls. And for Bev, uh, some of that was through song um, and um, storytelling um, and, and um, but more than anything, that joy came from autonomous play mm-hmm. um, and children just exploring and dis- discovering and her absolute commitment to getting out of their way um, and being there to help them with whatever they needed. But um, she was there to serve their needs mm-hmm. and just give them space and time to figure things out for themselves. I can't think of a better way to start yeah. off life. Yeah. I, I love, I loved how you said, get out of their way. <laughs> yeah. Cause and she don't make a them lot stay of- in tape squares. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> she, talked, she talked a lot about how, how wrong it was to have conversations, adult conversations, either with children or around children. So um, that was something that came up when she was here for a couple of days because uh, one of my teachers got their gumption up to ask Bev a question, but it was in the classroom. And so Bev wouldn't converse because you're not supposed to have adult conversations because you could ruin and disrupt the intimacy of the children's play. And uh, 
So we had quite a conversation about that afterwards because the teacher then got up her nerve again to ask a question. And so Bev and I later on had a conversation at lunchtime I, that while they were here, I took them out to lunch every day because we have nap time and her program, it was a half day program. So I said, you know, Bev, I said, you know, um, can you imagine how like unnerving that was to ask Bev Buzz a question? And she said, but, but it's wrong. It's wrong. The children are immersed in their play. And I said, but it's not a regular day. And I said, they saw this woman that they don't know, like not answer their teacher. And so they saw that. And then they saw it happen again. And I said, so you, one of my favorite Bev Boss quotes is, will the end of the world come if, will a child learn something if? So like if they want to like, you know, fill the classroom with sand and have a mountain of sand in the middle of the classroom or because if they ever asked for anything, like she, she used to tell those stories that uh, as a parent would drop off in the morning at her program, like she might say to one of them, like, ah, because the child just said, Bev, Bev, Bev Boss, Bev Boss, I need some purple cabbage. And she would just say, oh, we don't have any purple cabbage. And she'd grab like a dad or a mom on their way to work and she'd go, can you go to the store? We need some purple cabbage. <laughs> and she'd turn to the little phone and say, how much purple cabbage? A lot we need a lot. And the, the parent would just go, okay, I'm going and they get it. Yeah. And so I had said like, you know, can you imagine how much that meant? Like that little fella doesn't have any idea who you are and you just ignored his teacher. And so would the end of the world have come Bev? Would anything would ha have anybody learned anything? And so, um, that, that was part of our relationship was interesting because she, then she, Michael was behind her. So she goes, Michael, Michael, are you listening to this? So you not only knew her, you called her out on her. Hmm, that's something. Well, but that was one of my favorite quotes yeah. of hers was, will the end of the world come if? And I yeah. completely agree with her that we shouldn't be interrupting their play and having those yeah. conversations. But, but I also think that, that a lot of us can be really intimidated by people such as, like if we have Richard on a pedestal, like I know, I know a lot of people who have Richard Cohen on a pedestal 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 <laughs> and, and you know you have to be able to stand up for the children first and foremost but second of all for young ECEs who are growing and learning and so I love that you gave that example of autonomous uh, Richard because that was it was all for the children all of it hmm. and and she was so adamant like no cell phones no clocks no this and, and that's why she had the nerve to mm -hmm. say to parents on their way to work, go get some purple cabbage. I love that. <laughs> and what I remember from that cabbage story is that, cause I remember the cabbage story, um, uh, is the boy wanted to, all he wanted was to see what would happen if he put it in a microwave oven. Yeah. And for like, you know, so she didn't have this pre-planned curriculum, no. like so many states require okay. of teachers. Um, she literally followed their lead and he, that's all he wanted. He wanted to see what would happen and she got the cabbage and they saw what happened to it. Um, mm -hmm. and he learned more from that experience than any kind of pre-planned curriculum, um, that any teacher ever could have mm -hmm. tried to create for them from pulling ideas off of Pinterest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, oh my God. So true. So true. Uh, but you know, the other thing that, that I was thinking about as I was listening to you, uh, Heather, um, there's the cool Heather and then there's the nerd Heather. Um, I'm referring to the cool Heather. Okay. 
Um, um, it was, it was wonderful to watch Bev, you know, we often talk in this field about being a lifelong learner and Bev embodied that, um, in one of, in, uh, in part because like the nerd Heather, um, she was a voracious reader and wanted to keep, she knew she didn't know everything and she wanted to keep expanding her knowledge. And one of the things that came back to me as cool Heather was talking is, um, you know, one of Bev's greatest contributions, I think, was the 11 conditions for the development of self-esteem. But then as the 90s played out and rolled into the 2000s, um, and we learned more about um, early years and, and neurologically speaking in particular, she changed, was, she kept the same 11 conditions, but she changed it to the 11 conditions for healthy human growth. Mm because even though she did run around to get that cabbage for that kid and, and did see herself in service to young children, she started to realize the problem that we now joke about with millennials, which is, you know, they want a trophy for participating. Mm. And she realized that self-esteem wasn't the Holy Grail, which she used to espouse early mm. on. And she realized, no, there's self-esteem is too narrow a, of a term. Um, and so she changed it to the conditions for healthy human growth. Mm -hmm. I like yeah, that. I love that part. She also, I loved, um, I think probably my biggest lesson from her is how much children need and adults need a sense of belonging. Yeah. And uh, we always started the conferences often. Well, I, I, it's been so many years now, it's starting to, fade in my mind which makes me sad but we often talked about like for all of us like and and she talked about childhood amnesia mm -hmm. because so many of us forget our childhoods and so where in the world when you think of a place that you really felt a sense of belonging and so um many years that we brought her here to nova scotia to do conferences i didn't have her come to my program and i remember some couple years afterwards some ece said like well what does she say when she goes to your program i'm like I've never brought her to my program. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm too scared to bring her. <laughs> so when she first came, uh, talk about calling someone out. That staff meeting she had after three days of mentoring us, man, that staff meeting was hard, mm. hard. Because we, we had, you know, she had told us like years before, she also also said, if you said, if you want to change your center and you make all these changes and be there for kids, you'd say like, where do I start? Like, I want to just change the whole place overnight. Mm -hmm. And she always said, start, just start in a corner, just start in a corner. And so when you have her like in your program every day for three days, like doing the work and being there and telling us what we should be doing and everything else, when you have that staff meeting and she's like, this has to go and this has to go and this has to go. <laughs> And she provided all the theoretical reasons for it and everything else. But I remember one thing was she said, what is, what is going on when we first walk in? What is that thing on the wall? And it was photos of all the staff with like their diplomas and stuff and a little bio. Uh -huh. And I said, well, that's, the parents don't often remember our names. And also we want them to know that we have like formal early childhood. And she goes, that doesn't create a sense of belonging. <laughs> that doesn't say welcome. That doesn't say we've been waiting for you when you walk in here. She said, you know, th there's some problems. If they don't know your names, then there are problems. You're not having a, a deep, meaningful relationship with them. 
And it doesn't matter if you have degrees. They should know from the things you're doing and saying and talking. And oh my God, she was such a character. <laughs> anyway, we haven't had diplomas hanging up since that day. came down that night and they've never been in our lobby since. Oh my We've God. been waiting for you to come to this place. Waiting for you to come to this place. Wherever you're from, we're glad that you've come. We've been waiting for you to come to this place. I love and Richard, that. you got you got to meet Tom, did you? I never got to meet Tom. Oh, I got Tom. Tom was a Tom I can't Hunter, he was a dear friend, but he was a friend. Yeah. yeah. Um, what an amazing human being he was. What a gentle, sweet, and incredibly intelligent soul. Um, so, yeah. so he wrote most of the songs, from mm -hmm. my understanding. Mm hmm. I don't know if Bev would say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, belonging, as you were talking about, that was the first of those 11 conditions, was belonging. Mm -hmm. and, and it was number one for exactly the reasons you just laid out. Um, that was so important to her, that sense of um, welcoming, and this is my space. And, and that was such a concern for us, reopening, because ever since then, like I completely, within like a couple of weeks, I was sending videos to them of how we had a fountain in the front entrance and how we had all of this really neat stuff. And we have baskets of spices. And so as soon as you walk in, you smell all these, like all different spices and the kids can run their hands through them as they're coming in and saying good morning. And, and, and how on earth were we going to have a welcoming, warm, belonging environment as I'm standing there in a mask with a thermometer in my hand and saying, let's wash our hands. And right. Right. Yeah. All those and of course, dehuman is dehumanizing elements of institutional life <clears throat> become unavoidable suddenly. And I, I it worries me so much. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Bev was um, passionately against institutional life mm -hmm. and institutions. She was not a fan of NAEYC um, and was often asked to be on their board or to contribute in large ways. And she very passionately and, and clearly said, nope, I will have no part of um, any kind of uh, large national regulatory or what seemed to be regulatory organization like that. She was very proud of her, uh, of that. And, and that came to, um, um, you know, she stopped getting invited back to any EYC conferences in some of those last years um, because that relationship soured and mm -hmm. other reasons we're, we're not a party to. Mm -hmm. But it's one of yeah. the things I most loved and respected about her. Yeah, sort of like, I mean, I don't think she ever said the phrase blackballed, but that's sort of, I don't even know if people use that term anymore in 2020. That's, is that a term? But yeah, that's, I, I remember talking with her about that. Oh. And it was it was mixed feelings because she certainly missed. She wanted everybody to hear everything she had to say. Yeah. But then there was other times that she'd say to me, "I'm so tired, Heather. I'm so tired of saying the same things. <laughs> like, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of saying these things. Do you know how many years I've been saying these things?" And I just used to say, "Bev, these are different ECEs." Mm -hmm. And sometimes in conferences, she she'd get upset. Like I'd be sitting off to the side or in the front or wherever, and I'd be taking some notes, and she'd literally stop the what she's talking about. She'd go, why are you taking notes, Heather? You know this stuff. You already know this stuff. Why are you taking notes? And like, I'd like be looking around the room with all these people. And I'm like, but you know, we are all at a different place at each moment in time. 
And so myself, like, even though I would hear her words again and again, you're getting different messages because it's like what your brain is receptive to and what your experiences have laid you out for. And, you know, and that's another way that I learn is by writing things again and again and again. Mm -hmm. But uh, she, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. It's the whole thing is pretty hard. I think the world really, not that we can do anything about it, but the world still needs her. Um, uh, there's so many quotes. I was thinking, trying to think of one of my other favorite ones that she mm-hmm. says that, uh, it might sound simplistic, but none of her messages, they were simplistic, but not simplistic. But like, um, I know everybody, everybody uses the one if it hasn't been in the hands <laughs> and that, that one is, it's a beautiful one and it makes the most sense. If it's not uh-huh. relevant for children, it can't go in the brain. And Dan says it too. He just says, children just prune the information. But I love one I use with parents a lot, uh, which is that uh, children can't know enough if they haven't experienced too much or too little. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, like when they're filling, pouring, pouring like their milk into their cup and then it just overflows and goes all over the table. And people just prevent the children from having that opportunity because uh-huh. they don't want it to spill or whatever. Or that, you know, they, you give the child just this much glue or this much glitter or this much whatever. <laughs> and the children should have access to as much as they want, mm-hmm, which was the mm-hmm. same if a child is on a swing or a climber. You know, that whole thing where people say, okay, two more minutes, two more mm-hmm, minutes, then mm-hmm. it's Richard's turn. Heather, you are on the swing <laughs> for two more minutes and then Richard wants that swing. But she always said, well, Heather's using the swing. And, or Richard, I forget who I was saying. <laughs> and when they're done, and when they're done, they're done. So yeah. they, you, the child needs to have those things or, or they don't, they don't learn, they don't process the experience if they haven't fully immersed themselves in it for as long as they need to. Mm-hmm. And, and like, what will the end of the world come if they spill their milk? No, what will happen is then it's exciting. There's milk everywhere, <laughs> paper towel. And the next time they might pour it slower. The next time they might pour it faster because the kid's personality might be like, yay. <laughs> yep. Her, I'm, I'm looking over here at the exact quote that you were just talking about, um, cool Heather. Um, <laughs> it was, children have to do and use too much of everything in order to figure out the world. The way oh, I kind of translate it when I speak to audiences is, to say that exploration precedes focus. And so mm-hmm. one of the things I always say to those parents is at the beginning of our school year together, don't expect those beautiful works of art for your refrigerator. You're going to get papers filled with glops and glops of glue <laughs> and weird popsicle sticks. And, but trust me, they need to play with those things and experiment with them and discover their properties. And by the time we get back from our holiday break, There'll be something for you to hang on your refrigerator. <laughs> but, um, give me and them this semester to let them just overpour that glue. Um, now, I've said that to a lot of audiences, and that's really hard for a lot of um, early professionals out there who have very tight budgets and yeah. um, so short on supplies. And they say, I, you know, I, I, I get the idea, but it's just not possible. Um, in in my world. Mm -hmm. And so then we brainstorm things like, well, what could it be possible with? Well, water, sticks, what are the things that they could, you know, don't cost you any money, but the children could um, 
you know, just use and just break up sticks and spill way too much water and all those <laughs> kinds of things because they need that. They need those physics lessons before they can get to creative expression and, and you know, and that piece. It's, it's part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Do you have another quote, Richard? Um, well, I mean, they all relate to each other, you know, but uh-huh. the one I brought was all, and I know both of you will uh, have something to say about this one. All <laughs> learning involves risk. Mm. Yeah. And I think um, this sort of came up in another conversation recently. It's not just risk for children, like adult learning has to involve a little bit of risk too. And maybe that's <clears throat> allowing something that you feel a little uncomfortable with, or, you know, like, unlimited glue squeezing or something like that um for the adult even that's a moment of risk where you can learn something um that discomfort means that you're ready for the new and uh if we can start thinking and experiencing that for ourselves then maybe it will be easier for us to allow that for children and, and sort of stretch ourselves in that way so that they can stretch themselves and so then that becomes part of my director's trainings is to help them understand that you have to explicitly tell your teachers, you're not going to get in trouble if I come in your classroom and the children are making a huge mess. <laughs> Don't think, you know, because that's a big fear out there, yes. right? I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. And so the directors need to know they have to set that, um, that tone and that expectation for the teachers. Mm-hmm. If the children are going to be allowed to take risks, then the grown-ups boss has to allow them to take risks. Mm-hmm. But also the other thing I learned from Rhett, from Bev is that risk also isn't just physical, like climbing up a slide, right? Um, you know, I, I, Heather was, was, cool Heather was bringing up a, an important point earlier. I just like saying that I have. <laughs> um, laugh every time. <laughs> um, I love it because I've never been called cool in my whole life. So I'm like, this is awesome. Well, she was talking, you were talking, or what, what I heard within that was not making children share, not making that whole thing about, no, you have two minutes and then it'll be Richard's turn or whatever. But, um, but uh, the act of sharing is still important and there, there's a place for it. It's not ever my place to, as an early educator, to command it, but it is one of those things in life. Um, um, my husband and I have a, a, a continual disagreement on this at dinner time. He says that he was raised by his mama uh, that um, all things are all things taste better when they're shared, and I was raised no, no, all things taste better when you have more of it to yourself. <laughs> Um, and so we always get in fights about sharing food, but sharing's important. Um, and I'm only bringing that up to say that it's an emotional and it's a social risk. Mm-hmm. Um, if I share this thing with another child, will I get it back? I might not. And so I'm risking, I might not get it back. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of early educators out there that when they hear that word risk, they think it means playing with scissors or, right. um, yeah. you know, some physical risk Mm -hmm. and i want to make sure that people really realize that risk that there are emotional risks and social risks and um even mental risks to to try to think through something new i think another thing along risks that she taught all of us was risking uh, i think lisa murphy calls them the wolves 
mm-hmm. but risking risking uh, violation or whatever it is uh, for what you know is best for children. So uh, it's it's bizarre because I'm sitting here in my Jeep and um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure when Richard was at the program there, he would have seen that they had the wooden play hive. And so many of us have like had those built on our playground since then. And so we have one on our playground. And when I first got it, the inspector first came out, she didn't know what to make of it. And so I guess when she got back to the office and she described it, so for weeks, she was coming out for weeks and taking pictures of it because uh, I said, it's not a climber. It's like the plans are on the internet. You look up play hut and, uh, but for the children, It's clearly a climber. I mean, they go <laughs> up it and the ins like climbing the inside of it at an angle is far more challenging than climbing the outside of it at an angle. And so um, it got to the point that they told me I had to take it down. And I said, I'm not taking it down. Those children need that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was our 20th anniversary. So it was five years ago. And I was looking at getting a new sign for the center. And Michael Lehman designed a sign for me called Our Lady of Perpetual Violation. <laughs> Because I said, I'm not compromising what children need. And so just a week or two ago um, in Nova Scotia, they weren't going to permit us to have children playing in outdoor sandboxes when we reopened. And so I did a video and I said, I I said, I'm calling baloney on this. And all of us stood in the video and it went over 16,000 views. But it's also a risk because someone else shared it and said, this is dangerous. This woman is wrong, blah, blah, blah. Children are going to die from COVID. Yeah. Oh. Um, but on Friday, Nova Scotia announced that we could play in outdoor sand, sand pits and stuff like that. So, so you have to stand up for kids. So, you know, she told us that kids need to learn risk, but as adults, we need to learn risk too. I was scared to come to this podcast with you, Richard. So I was risking. Oh, please. <laughs> But, you know, so two things I hear in what you just said, Heather. One, it kind of reminds me of what I said earlier, which is that if children are going to risk, teachers need, need to be able to risk. And in order for them to do that, the director needs to be able to risk. And for those of you who are only listening to us, you couldn't see um, cool Heather's smile when she was talking about it not being a climber. Um, <laughs> because the smile on her face was, yeah, I, I knew it that they're climbing on it. <laughs> I can't say that to the licensor or the regulator. And so, you know, good directors follow the rules. Great directors know when and how to break them and when to wink um, like like Cool Heather was doing with us just now. Um, Because you, you have to, you have to give children what they need. Now, I would also say, though, that it's a really weird context in which we're having this conversation this world, this pandemic world that we never could have dreamed of. I just want to make sure your listeners know that when we're talking about risk, Mm -hmm. there's a whole other conversation about COVID. Right. Yeah. um, And what, and how much more we don't know than we do know about Mm -hmm. it. That makes that risk Mm -hmm. particularly spiky. But the three of us weren't talking about that so much as children just um, learning through everyday risks. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just want to make yes. sure that the yes, really thank you. that distinction. <laughs> yes, and we should. I would like to clarify that I looked at a lot of research about sand before yeah. I did uh-huh. that video. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there were. It's it's a little unnerving how so many jurisdictions are saying it's safe to do this and it's not safe to do this, and then like the very next province over or the very next state over yeah. is saying the opposite. 
And yeah. so um, I'm so thankful for things like this and the, and the book group the other night, Heather, and there's a group that meets every Tuesday evening. I know Dan's, Dan's typically in that Zoom every Tuesday evening, a group of people from all over North America. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice because you can share that information with each other. Because as you're reading it, as you're reading it, it's very confusing. <laughs> like, why is this state doing this and this state doing this? Mm-hmm. And so now that the internet has made the world smaller, and through that, it's how we can share like Bev's words and Tom Hunter's words and remind each other of the importance as we're trying to like find our way mm-hmm. through this unusual stuff. Cause you do want to be there for kids. But as you're saying in COVID, you want to like, it's like you're trying to be fully committed to the safety, but also fully committed to what children really need mm-hmm. in a way to mitigate as the trauma that they're going to, that they are going through and that we're all going through together in a new reality. Mm-hmm we can't deliver the ideal right now. So we each have to decide where we're holding our bar for what is the best we can deliver right now Mm -hmm. and be at peace with that and mourn the loss of the ideal. Uh, And because we know what the children deserve Mm -hmm. the ideal, but we just right now can't give it to them. But you know, the other thing that was so bossian of you, um, Heather, (laughs) um, was, um, you know, as you said, one province says one thing and another says another thing. And you see, which was very, which was, you know, we talked about how Bev was very passionate about um, large regulatory bodies uh, and not um, paying the mind when they weren't um, following science and making their decisions based on science. And as you said, when one province says one thing and another says another thing, there is no one unifying science, right? This is about politics um, in your provinces, in our states. And it's important for directors to realize that, that um, all those guidelines you're given, um, there's no one set of science that we're being guided by. And it's really important for directors and leaders to understand mm-hmm. um, how politically motivated our rules and regulations are in our field um, and to not just um, follow them blindly, mm-hmm. but to critically think through them for yourself and not assume mm-hmm. that just because they're words on your screen or on a piece of paper, that that makes them science. Yeah. And I, I think that is one thing Bev would have said if she were around today. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up. This is we I know we could go forever and ever, but we're coming up on an hour. <laughs> Can I give you one last quick? Yes, last please. Point? Yes. All right. Um, Bev and I used to travel. Uh, uh, this has really nothing to do with anything, but we used to travel together a lot. And one thing she said to me when we were stuck in airports, we would be stuck in airports. She and Michael and I for hours. And um, um, I don't know how many people know this little quote, but I thought I'd share it because it was fun. Because even as we sat at the airport, of course, of course, there were a lot of conferees who were at that airport and would stop and want to talk to her or shake her hand or thank her and all that. And I remember, and I was in the beginning of my part of that keynoting career. And I said, Bev, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Something like that. And one of my favorite Bev boss quotes was she says, she said, because she said, they all want me to think that I remember them. Um, and the truth is, after all these years, I don't. Mm-hmm. So my little, this, my little private trick to you, Richard, is this. 
when someone comes up to me and says, um, hi, Bev, um, most, there's a lot of early childhood educators who are wearing glasses. And if you say, um, oh, I think you have different eyeglass frames than the last time I saw you. <laughs> um, they feel so complimented. Um, and then you can continue the conversation from there. <laughs> and I've done that ever since then. Oh my God, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh God, thank you. That's a good place to end this on. And thank you both for your time and your passion and, and all that you've shared today. And I think the, the COVID tie-in was really, um, was, will be meaningful for listeners. So thank you guys so much. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Come back again for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.